With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Chicago Psychology Podcast. This is where you hear people saying that your gut is actually your second brain. Um, The communication between your brain and gut is so powerful. But what that means is that there's this intestinal response to cognitions and emotions and then vice versa. Gut stimuli themselves can actually trigger emotional and cognitive responses. Hello, this is Dr. Scott Hoy. That was the voice of Dr. Sarah Quinton of Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. She joins us on this episode to discuss psychogastroenterology. Sarah discusses her work at the Gastrointestinal Clinic at Northwestern University and the use of modalities like CBT and hypnotherapy for helping patients with GI disorders. She also discusses some of the research at Northwestern University, including virtual reality therapy for irritable bowel syndrome. And now, here's the interview. Hello and welcome everybody to the Chicago Psychology Podcast. Today my guest is Dr. Sarah Quinton. She's the Director of Behavioral Medicine for Digestive Health and Co-Director of the Integrated Bowel Dysfunction Program at Northwestern Medicine in Chicago, Illinois. Sarah, welcome. Thank you for coming aboard. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk about psychogastroenterology. We're excited, too. Well, usually what we do on the podcast is to talk a little bit about um, who you are, who the guest is, where they come from, and how they got to be doing what they're doing right now. So maybe that'll be a nice way to open-endedly open the floor for you to talk. Okay. Well, I'm a clinical health psychologist and a researcher at Northwestern University here in Chicago, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And my area of focus or concentration is the field of psychogastroenterology, which is that phrase in and of itself is something that's just emerged in the last year or two. But basically, it's the specialization of using psychological principles and psychological science Mm -hmm. when helping those with digestive diseases, Mm -hmm. irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease. It's not an uncommon question when people ask me how I got into the field. The way that, that I always like to talk about it is as a psychologist, you have to do this postdoctoral year in order to get your hours so you can get licensed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as I was applying for that, I remember I came to Northwestern and Dr. Lori Kiefer, who is a pioneer in the field, looked at me and she goes, I'm going to turn you into a GI psychologist. And I'm sitting there and I don't even know what this is. I just need a postdoctoral fellowship in health psychology, which is my background. And I ended up falling in love with the field of psychogastroenterology through doing that. So after I got licensed and I was out for a while, I came back to Northwestern where I head up the program. Wow, that's, uh, that is very fortuitous for you. You were in the right place at the right time. <laughs> Definitely. I, you, I must definitely... Have, you must have trusted your gut on that one. Oh, oh. okay. All right. <clears throat> Couldn't resist. Um, but it must have been kind of like an intuitive match for you. Yeah, yeah. There was a little bit of luck and I think some hard work behind it. But So that's how you got involved in what you do. Um, yeah. But can you, like gastro-psychoenterology? Psycho-gastroenterology. Psycho-gastroenterology. Okay, so... Um, well, you said specifically what that is, which I assume means it's the study of gut disorders, right? Yeah. And it's, it's mm-hmm. using the principles of psychology and our interventions in psychology to help people with their GI disorders. Okay. Well, how does that work? I mean, if your stomach, I mean, how does, I'm playing devil's advocate here, forgive me, but how does that work? How does the gut and the stomach... Uh, the bowels and, you know, your process of elimination, how is that connected to your mind? Well, I actually think that that is one of the first and most critical points when talking with patients, when talking with providers about what this field is and and what I do. Um, the first thing that we need to debunk is you are not getting sent to a psychologist when you have a medical condition because your doctor thinks that your symptoms are caused by anxiety or depression. What we know is there's this brain-gut interaction that happens for people. And when I say brain-gut, there's this bidirectional communication pathway um, between the central nervous system and the GI system, which is run by the enteric nervous system. So this is where you hear people saying that your gut is actually your second brain. Um, The communication between your brain and gut is so powerful. But what that means is that there's this intestinal response to cognitions and emotions and then vice versa. Gut stimuli themselves can actually trigger emotional and cognitive responses. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> Is that kind of answer that a little bit? Yeah, so breaking it down into a layperson's term, <laughs> if I have a stomachache... It, yes, like I mean, I don't have uh, gastrocolitis. I don't have I don't have colitis or IBS or things like that, or um, GERDs. Right, I don't have gastric reflux syndrome. 
But mm-hmm. I do know that when I have had the flu and it's been a stomach flu, I've been particularly not happy with the fact that I'm very sick. <laughs> and that in turn, if it's, you know, usually a flu is a 24 hour bug mm-hmm. in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I've had longer gastro, actually, I, I will step in, I will dive deep into my own gastrointestinal problems. One mm-hmm. time I had a very bad uh gastrointestinal virus where I was in the process of elimination mm-hmm. from, from both ends for about five to 10 days. I even had to, um, start taking sugar water in order to, uh, yeah, it was pretty bad. I lost a lot keep of your electrolytes up, right? Yes. Yeah. Keep the electrolytes up. Uh, but I do remember feeling when is this going to end? Mm-hmm. And so, or, and I could imagine if that had persisted afterwards, I would be thinking, when is this going to end and when will it strike again? Yeah. Yeah. And imagine, you know, going to work and you were sitting with a patient and they're in the middle of pouring out their life story and you have to say, whoa, whoa, stop and run off to the bathroom. Correct. Yeah. Um, so even, you know, if you have these conditions that are unpredictable, they cause a lot of disruption in individuals' work lives, in their personal lives, in their ability to parent. So that in itself causes this vicious, vicious cycle where mm-hmm. people become hypervigilant. They become very fearful. And control can kind of become a central issue, especially when you know you try and turn to food to control symptoms or you try and turn to specific strategies to prevent symptoms from happening. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, that's that's a common response that we see is, is when somebody has this condition or conditions of the bowel, um, they start to develop thoughts and feelings regarding these symptoms, which can be very disruptive. But then on the other hand, we know that these are our medical conditions whereby things in the body are not functioning the way they should be. Mm-hmm. Some of the hallmarks with GI conditions that we work with are what we call visceral hypersensitivity, mm-hmm. which is essentially the nerves in the bowel become hypersensitive to sensation or signaling. So as somebody who does not have a GI disorder, if I get a cramp in my gut, my brain, my gut's going to register that as a four out of a 10 on the pain scale and send it up to my brain so my mm-hmm. brain can manage that pain. And my brain will handle it accordingly. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have one of these GI conditions, you'll get the same cramp in your gut, but the nerves in your gut are going to register that as an 8 out of a 10 and send it up to the brain. But the mm-hmm. brain's not going to be able to respond to it appropriately. So that's visceral hypersensitivity. Another aspect that we see with GI disorders is a hypervigilance to the symptoms themselves, mm-hmm. um, paying more mind to, to symptoms, being more mindful of when they occur, what they feel like. Another aspect of GI conditions that we're dealing with is motility, um, just how the muscles inside the bowel are working. Are they moving too rapidly? Are they moving too slowly? Mm-hmm. If you have rapid motility, you're going to get a lot of diarrhea, a lot of urgency, sometimes cramping. If you have slowed motility, this is where we see constipation, pain, some bloating, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it seems like I know from doing pain management with people, I know that a part of the brain actually gets the signal of pain, for instance, mm-hmm. like say lower back pain. But another part of the brain, its job is to interpret it mm-hmm. so that when I use mind-body techniques to help people manage their pain... I'm helping them kind of change the interpretation or their focus 
uh, is that something that, that goes on with, uh, with some of the techniques you might use uh, working with GI patients as well? Is that kind of what you're doing? Yeah, I, that's actually quite a large part of it is making the gut less sensitive to strong emotions and strong feelings, but also retraining the brain and how it receives and responds to pain signaling. We actually, you know, there was a really fascinating research study that showed that people with irritable bowel syndrome feel pain differently and experience pain at higher levels than people who don't have IBS. Is, and that, the, is, that, is that how they... Ex- they experience only gut pain differently, or they experience pain generally overall, like uh, subjectively different than people who don't have IBS. You know, I'm not sure if the research actually goes over subjectively. You know, a lot of this research is very what we call gut specific. Mm-hmm. So this particular study was actually, and if you would believe it the researchers had requested patients come in and do what's called um, rectal distension with a balloon. And I know, I know. Um, So what happens is a balloon would be inserted and then it would be enlarged. In normal sensation, people would be able to say, oh, hey, I can feel that. Whereas somebody with IBS, even with just a little bit of that balloon getting inflated, they would feel pain signals. Hmm. And functional MRIs would actually show that that pain registered differently in the brain. But they didn't do other sort of pain research associated with that. This might be a little bit detailed, but do you Uh recall from those studies, uh, Dr. Quinton, where... Where in the brain the uh, sensations were um, being perceived? What part? Do you know what part of the brain? If I can recall correctly, and I'll want to double check on this, I believe there is some anterior cingulate uh, cortex edit okay. all that okay. yeah, okay. yeah the ACC. But I can definitely send you some slides if you want to want to take a look at that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I would love to see them. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so part of what you do is to retrain the brain and and reduce gut sensitivity. It sounds like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. Okay, definitely. So, what kind of techniques or, or activities do you do? Do you do you do one on one psychotherapy? Does the psychotherapy look any different than, let's say, client centered therapy or mm-hmm. you know psychodynamic or is it CBT oriented what and and are there any particular mind body techniques that you have are you you and your team are working with uh for patients Definitely. There's there's a lot of good research out there that is showing there's cognitive behavioral therapy that's gut specific. Um gut directed medical hypnotherapy, mm-hmm. mindfulness, meditation, Um, there's some literature about acceptance and commitment therapy for GI disorders and even a small body of literature talking about psychodynamic therapies being beneficial for GI health. We predominantly use gut specific cognitive behavioral therapy and gut directed hypnotherapy when working with our patients. And that's across disorders. That's for our patients who have irritable bowel syndrome, patients with inflammatory bowel disease, as well as patients with upper GI conditions like GERD or non-cardiac chest pain conditions. We offer individual services, so one-on-one therapy Mm -hmm. for the vast majority of our patients, but we also do support groups. 
Um, and it would be interesting, I think, for us to be able to expand our services to be able to provide group cognitive behavioral therapy and group hypnotherapy mm. because there's there's research out there showing that these modalities in group settings can be as effective as the individual therapy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, as effective. Wow. Mm-hmm. So not with or without the support of the individual therapy? Yeah. I, you know, the, the principles remain the, you know, the core principles of psychoeducation, um, stress management, reducing gut reactivity that can be delivered individually or in group formats. And there's, there's e-health digital platforms and teletherapy can be effective as well for these things. Okay. Well, since we're kind of on the subject of that, and it sounds like you're, you're planning on possibly branching out to, um, expand, your services to groups, what does it, I mean, what does it typically look like for a patient who comes into Northwestern's program uh, from your end of things, or just generally speaking, like when they, they come to the GI department and they get an order to see you or one of your colleagues, what does the program look like for a person? Well, typically, you know, our GI physicians are really phenomenal at sort of destigmatizing the role of behavioral medicine for their patients. We know there's a distinct difference between a physician who just says, oh, you know, I'm also putting in a referral for a psychologist mm-hmm. and a physician who sits down and says, hey, we know that behavioral strategies for this condition can be highly effective, sometimes mm. even more effective than medications. Um, would this be something you would be interested in trying? And some research in about, I believe this was 2010 under Dr. Sarah Kinsinger found that at least 50% of the patients who are referred for services choose to seek out the services of psychologists here in our program. Oh. Um, and what that ends up meaning is that a patient will come in and meet with a psychologist for an initial evaluation. And while this initial evaluation does go over some of the standard, you know, social, emotional factors that, that any psychological evaluation would cover, what we are very specific about is disease-specific or symptom-specific aspects of their, their condition. Okay. How does having the GI symptoms or their medical condition negatively impact their life? What kind of behaviors have they adapted in order to manage this condition? Um, you know, talking about resilience is a big factor for a lot of our patients. Mm-hmm. And during this initial evaluation, we're able to kind of figure out what might be a really good treatment modality for this patient. And I like to have an ongoing conversation and say, hey, you know, stress management or CBT might be a good option for you, or would you be interested in the hypnotherapy? And then we kind of design the treatment pathway from there. Okay. How many people tend to, to focus on the hypnotherapy versus just stress management? Well, about actually 50% of the people, the patients who come through our program end up going for a gut-directed hypnotherapy, uh-huh. and 50% do a cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's pretty evenly split. Well, um, what seems to be the pull for people to do the gut-directed hypnotherapy? Well, there's a lot of curiosity, mm-hmm. I think, about what that means. Mm-hmm. And once we explain, you know, what hypnosis is and, more importantly, what hypnosis is not, mm-hmm. um, people are much more eager to kind of give it a try, like learning this as a practice that they can take home as a skill that they can use on their own without me there mm-hmm. is is something that the patients 
that really appeal to patients. And sometimes, you know, with our patients, we don't necessarily see a lot of what we call maladaptive behaviors or a huge stress component. So maybe I have a patient that is not having catastrophic thoughts about their symptoms um, or doesn't come in saying like, yeah, I'm highly reactive to stress. So sometimes that makes them an ideal candidate for the hypnotherapy. Oh, okay. Right, 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 Mm -hmm. right. Okay. Um, Well, how do you, um, I'm curious with regards to the hypnotherapy, how do you, how do you explain that component since, and I'm, I'll I'll get off the hypnotherapy kick, even though, you know, I'm uh, a big fan of that stuff. Um, Oh, stay on it. Hypnosis is great for GI disorders. It is right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, let's, let's backtrack here a bit. If people have a high maladaptive stress coping pattern, do you think it's more important to uh, engage them with CBT first so that their stress isn't elevated by a, f- a person getting too close to them through the process of hypnosis? Or, or what is the reason for that um, for those who might uh, be better benefit from just stress, stress well, management? What I have found is that patients tend to be equally responsive to CBT or gut-directed hypnotherapy in terms of both of those mal- both of those modalities are highly effective for symptom reduction. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time it comes down to the patient's interest and what they're willing to do. Um, it okay. doesn't matter if I think gut-directed hypnotherapy is a great treatment option. If a okay. patient comes in and says, I don't buy it, you know, that's not going to work for me, then okay. it's not going to work for them. Right. Okay. Um, so you're, you're basically working around any kind of resistance by offering basically two versions of the same thing. One mm-hmm. that's, that uses the H word, one that doesn't use the H word. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, for me, for my personal style of therapy is I believe in, in really empowering our patients and mm-hmm. patients can't do that if they don't have all of the information, including the medical information of what their condition is, what our treatments are, why we use them. And sometimes even saying to a patient, I don't think that this treatment is going to work for you right now. Okay. Um, we have a lot of patients who have what we call pelvic floor dysfunction, where the muscles and the nerves and their ligaments in their pelvic floor are not working or coordinating properly. Mm -hmm. But 40% of these patients have a trauma background. And Mm -hmm. even though we know pelvic floor physical therapy can help these symptoms, unless they resolve that trauma, that pelvic floor physical therapy is not going to help them. So being able to tell that patient, hey, Prior to you engaging in physical therapy, we're going to need to have you do some trauma-specific therapy mm-hmm. or some work in this area prior to doing that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I heard a rumor that that you that Northwestern's GI department was was moving into a virtual reality hypnosis program. Is that actually a rumor, or is this true? Well, virtual reality hypnosis is a little bit of a distinct sort of thing from using virtual reality to treat conditions. Um, But the rumor of the use of virtual reality for GI conditions, that's true. 
Oh, so, um, so it's not hypnosis. Okay. Yeah, it's not hypnosis, although there's some fascinating information out there. So I would love to go in that direction. But I think we actually need to lay a little groundwork before we do that. So within the next year, we're going to have a research study for what we kind of call the feasibility and acceptability of virtual reality interventions for people mm-hmm. with irritable bowel syndrome. Um, We know that patients who have IBS have benefited from the use of virtual reality when they're in an inpatient setting, Mm -hmm. but nobody's really studied if patients are interested in coming in and putting on a VR headset and running through the programming, you know, four times, seven times, 12 times. What does Um, that look like though? What, what is, what, what is the virtual imagery that they're, that they're interacting with or the virtual Mm -hmm. reality? What, what is in that? Dr. Quinn. Well, there's a lot of different programs out there right now, and some of the research has predominantly used, you know, relaxation, settings of relaxation. There's one on Oculus that's called Nature Trek, where you get something like seven scenes and you can kind of walk around, you know, in a field or you can kind of float around in the stars. But there are specific virtual reality programs that have been developed to teach patients mindfulness principles or Mm -hmm. diaphragmatic breathing or pain management techniques. So um, Applied VR has a sort of suite of VR programs geared towards pain. Does that basically just pull the practitioner out to work with other cases so some people can get that treatment of virtual reality and other people can go see someone one-on-one or what is the purpose of using that if if you can get the same training from a psychologist or a mm. counselor or, or social worker well i think the end goal for for us in psychogastroenterology is that there are not enough providers that are knowledgeable about the use of psychological principles for GI Mm -hmm. and outside of academic medical centers were hard to find. So anytime we can harness something, be it technology or teletherapy or something that consumers can use, we want to do research in that. We want to back that and look into that. Okay. Uh, So right now it's not part of your program. It's a research component of the program? Yeah. It's going to be an upcoming research study that we're hoping to to ramp up. And then at some point, we want to use larger scale teletherapy and see how we can use these initiatives. Oh, okay. Excellent. Okay. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, uh, Sarah... Is there any particular aspect of of research or or information about GI uh, treatment, uh, psychological treatment of GI disorders uh, that you feel needs to be expressed or or talked about? Well, I think, you know, we see this anecdotally, but we've also seen this. This is borne out through our research that, you know, our patients are are willing to engage in behavioral treatment of their conditions, and they are, in fact, really interested in pursuing these options if it's available. We did a research study in the last year with 
our inflammatory bowel disease patients about their experiences with psychotherapy in the community. And, you know, 81% of these patients who responded felt that it was important for a therapist to be knowledgeable about their GI condition, but that there were not enough therapists out there who were knowledgeable. With that study, we also found that nearly half of these patients wanted a referral um, for behavioral medicine from their medical provider, but only 17% of these patients received a referral when talking with their provider about how their condition were impacting their mood, quality of life, things of that nature. Okay. So we know patients want these treatments and the ability to access, access these treatments, that's always the issue. All right. And, and maybe part of that is because medical doctors on the whole don't necessarily think of the psychological component. They're thinking more of the physiological or biological component of what makes up the problem and only treating that, do you think? I think that that's a small piece of it. I also think doctors are under a lot of pressure to tackle a lot of questions in an extremely limited time frame. Mm -hmm. So being able to engage in a longer term discussion of you know, how these symptoms impacted quality of life or, you know, here are all of these treatment options. I also think, you know, physicians are not comfortable talking about treatment options that they can't point their patients to. Um, it can be very disheartening for a physician to be able to tell a patient, hey, we, we hear great things from hypnosis, we hear great things from CBT, but I don't know anybody who can help you with this. Oh, uh, okay. Right. Well, um, and that probably means there's a backlog of people, a wait list for the Northwestern Department. Yes, yes. There, there can be three to six months sometimes wow. to well, get in. Uh, I'm curious, like, how many other GI... Uh, integrative GI departments are there in Chicago? There aren't actually that many. There At Northwestern, we have the most robust program. We have four full-time health psychologists and one three-quarter time research psychologist mm -hmm. um, with our fellows and trainees as well providing services. Dr. Sarah Kinsinger has a program at Loyola Medicine. Um, and then I believe North Shore might have a psychologist who has some training okay. in GI therapy, but they don't have a standalone program that I'm aware of. So it sounds like the bulk of the patients going to a standalone program would be for you or Loyola. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that means there's a dearth of people um, getting training in this. Well, yeah. how, there are, well, uh, there are a couple I do want to make note, although most GI psychologists and psychogastroenterology programs are <laughs> located in academic medical centers. There are some really good private practice, um, practices out there in the area. Um, Oak Park behavioral medicine is one where I know they specialize in GI disorders and, mm -hmm. and we send a lot of our patients there for patients oh, who don't okay. want to come downtown. Yeah that's an option as well. Okay. Um, well, since there, there is a dearth of practitioners in this area, how would you recommend if people were interested in branching off into this specialty or if there's students learning psychology, social work, or, uh, you know, clinical social work or clinical counseling, mm -hmm. how would you recommend, what, what, where would you recommend them to seek the training? I, th I think there's a there's a couple of options at Northwestern. We're always really excited about being able to offer training opportunities for students, and we have a very robust 
fellowship and practicum program for students. So anytime someone reaches out and says, hey, I'm interested, what are the availability for training? We try and, and direct them the right way. For providers at large, you know, I would point people to go to the Rome Foundation, mm-hmm. which is one of the leading bodies um, that researches and studies functional bowel disorders. But there's a Rome psychogastroenterology group that has that, a number is that, of... Is that R-O-M-E, like the city? R-O-M-E, like the city. Uh-huh. But they have a specific psychogastroenterology division that has training resources and provides opportunities for clinicians, physicians, social workers, psychologists to receive education and training in this field. Oh, cool. Well, I will have yeah. to look that up. And we can also, um, in the, the uh, show notes, we can have that uh, listed as well. Well, and another really great resource of that group is, is they have a provider finder. Oh, so okay. if you want to look up in, yeah, in your area okay. for a provider who is familiar with the behavioral treatments for a broad range of GI disorders, you can type in your location and hopefully find somebody close by. What do you, what does that training consist of? Like, is that like three or four courses to, to be engaged in? Is it, is it, um, is it several years, several months? Well, I don't think right now there's there's a formal training pathway that that's mapped out. There's a number of um, kind of workshops that people can attend, mm-hmm. but there's no you know you have to take X amount of classes before you get you're qualified or there's a certificate as a psychogastroenterologist. All of the majority of the fellows who have gone through Northwestern participate in a two-year fellowship for health psychology and a mm-hmm. GI focus. Okay. So that's two years of intensive training. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that would probably be the most rigorous, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, anything else you'd like to add today? Ooh, I'm trying to think. I think that should be it as long as I explained everything you think I think you, you pretty explained much, it well I think you have explained it very well yeah so not only do Ooh, does the ex- what's that yeah go ahead I actually have a, a resource I would like to talk about actually okay uh, for for clinical providers out there who are interested in this there's a new book that just got released called psychogastroenterology for adults and this book is an amazing resource for providers that goes over not just the anatomy and the biology of GI conditions, but it really breaks down all of the behavioral interventions that we use, how other practitioners can use that. Um, so that's a great resource for anybody out there. Cool. And that's available from the publisher or on Amazon? It should be available on Amazon. I've got it in hard copy. I've got it on my Kindle. So it's it's an invaluable resource. Okay. We'll, we'll make a, uh, a link to that as well in the show notes. Yeah. Well, yeah. well thank you so much for coming and talking today, Dr. Quinton. Uh, my pleasure. We hope you come back at some point mm-hmm. in the future to talk more about developments at Northwestern GI Department. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. We appreciate you tuning in. Please do us a favor and listen and give us a great review on your favorite podcast streaming service. It would help us out immensely. 
This podcast is for entertainment and informative purposes only. If you need a mental health professional, please seek one out. All material copyright 2020, the Chicago Psychology Podcast. Music is provided by the band Serenati.